Father, we thank you that you are not only powerfully present in our midst to hear us, but you're here to speak to us. And your words, Lord, are life. They are spirit and they are life. And so we pray that you would bring your word now with power. You'd bring it with conviction. You'd bring it with comfort and encouragement. And through it, you would strengthen. You would light fires. You would refine. You would prepare for the days ahead. You would meet every need we have in proportion to your glorious riches. So come, Holy Spirit. Bring the word of God through me. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I'm excited to carry on our study of the gospel tool this morning. Go and make disciples sermon series is what we are working our way through. And we're on thought unit 28. And um, we're going to our text this morning is going to be from Psalm 119. When I read the thought unit, I'm also going to read a little introductory paragraph that is in the lesson, the gospel tool lesson for this week, along with it. So, thought unit 28 from the gospel tool. Along with these fruits of God's spirit, all true followers of Jesus Christ grow in love for and submission to the Holy Bible as the Word of God. Through the Bible, God himself feeds, instructs, warns, guides, counsels, and comforts us. And then this is the introductory paragraph. The Bible is the inspired Word of God, and as such it is to be the rule against which we measure our faith and practice. God's inspiring work in creating scripture extends to each word, concept, and idea present within scripture. The inspiration of scripture is so organic and unique that scripture alone can be called the word of God. The human authors of scripture were inspired to write in ways that reflect their own personalities, language, context, and style, and yet, together, Their writings reveal the truths of God and communicate a perfect revelation of God. Believing in the inspiration of Scripture is required by Scripture itself, by Jesus, and by his apostles. Belief in the perfect inspiration of Scripture is indispensable to Christian faith because Scripture is inspired by God's Holy Spirit. It is wholly trustworthy in all that it teaches. And now if you would turn with me to Psalm 119, and I don't know what version you're reading in. We often read from the NIV here, but I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version this morning, because I wanted something that was a little bit more literal to draw out a few things in the text. So Psalm 119, starting at verse 9 to 16. How can a young man keep or make his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart, 
I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the laws of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget or neglect your word. The word of God. Mm -hmm. Thanks be to God. Is right. Well, friends, I'm uh, I'm very very excited to bring this message to you this morning. It is my goal and my prayer that every single one of us be um, not only deeply encouraged but just inspired, including myself, to love and to honor and to cherish and to value the Word of God more deeply. And I want to start this morning's message in what might seem like a little bit of a strange place. And so I'll just promise you, um, I'm going to connect the dots and we're going to come back around to this text, okay? But I want to start in John chapter 3, where Jesus is having an interaction in the night, sort of a clandestine interaction with Nicodemus, who has come to him to ask him if he's the Messiah and ask him about the kingdom of God. And as a part of that interaction, Jesus says these words to Nicodemus. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh, a woman, her body gives birth to a child, but spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives birth to spirit, spiritual life, to a new spiritual baby, to a new creation. Spirit gives birth to spirit. The Holy Spirit, sent by God, was worked in each one of our lives to woo us to Christ. The Holy Spirit started working, whether you grew up in the church or whether you grew up far from the church, the Holy Spirit was working on your heart, your mind, to bring you conviction, to bring you an awareness of emptiness, of hunger, of sinfulness, of need. This is not the way life's supposed to be. This is not the way I'm supposed to be. Something's missing. I need forgiveness. The Holy Spirit convicts and He woos and He draws and He brings you to this moment where He reveals Christ to you. And you see the Savior. And you hear the Gospel. And you hear this good news that Jesus died For your sins. And Jesus rose to give you new life. And if you would place your faith in Him, if you would believe and you would follow Him, His life would become yours. And you say, yes, prompted by the Holy Spirit. He draws you. He woos you. He moves on you to say yes. And then He comes and He indwells you. And your whole new life in Christ is in the Spirit, by the Spirit, with the Spirit. And so I want to say two things about that before we move back around to our text. One, 
is because your whole life in Christ is in, with, and by the Spirit, it's really important to develop the discernment of spirits. Here's what I mean. Um, Neil and I have been having a couple of conversations about this, and he alluded to it earlier this morning when he said, when Pastor Dave preached a month ago, I didn't go home heavy like I normally or sometimes would. And when he shared that with me in private first, I said, I'm glad you're talking about this because it's really on my heart. I notice a lot of Christians fail to discern the difference between the work of Satan or of unclean spirits and the work of the Holy Spirit. So what is Satan called? He's called the accuser of the brethren or the family of God. When Satan whispers something to you, when he brings a thought to you, it sounds like criticism. It sounds like condemnation. It sounds like you're not good enough. You don't measure up. You aren't. And you leave feeling deflated or beaten up or you have a, you have a lower view of yourself. When the Holy Spirit speaks something to you, when he brings conviction or correction or rebuke, which are all things he very regularly does, he does it gently, he does it kindly, and he does it to lead you into life. So a couple examples. Neil shared with me on Friday that when he first got into the work of journalism, he made a major error at the newspaper. It was in Midland you were working in, where um, he put the wrong UPC code on the newspaper. And so the weekend edition went out with the weekday edition code, and it cost everybody 75 cents where it should have cost him $2, and he lost the newspaper thousands of dollars. And he was so deflated And he was walking out of the newspaper and one of the executives near the top ran into him in the hallway and she looked at him and she said, well, we all make mistakes, don't we? With a soft and a gentle smile or look in her eyes. She didn't deny his mistake. She actually mentioned it, but she did it really graciously in a way that he said, just lifted me up out. I'd been beating myself up, but her countenance toward me lifted me up. That's like the work of the Holy Spirit. So here's another small example. My father-in-law has been telling me for a couple of years, you've got to get the rust off your trailer roof. You've got to deal with the rust that's on the roof. If you don't deal with that rust, it's going to get really bad. And I can tell you now that I really wish I listened to him two years ago instead of this summer. I spent 11 hours on a ladder yesterday. Uh, and, and rust eats through and it makes it just a tremendous amount of dirty work. Well, well, when he was saying it to me, he wasn't nagging. He wasn't criticizing. But he was bringing me, not correction, but information that I needed to heed. And if I would heed it, then I'd be able to tend to something early on and it'd be fruitful. But because I didn't tend to it early on, then the rust you know, corrodes through and it's a much bigger project. Okay, so here, this is like another example of the voice of the Holy Spirit. He comes and he brings information, he brings conviction, but he, he does it in a non-nagging, just clear, straightforward way that if we would heed, always leads to life. Okay? Store that. Hold on to it. Now, Next point that's important for us to hear and remember about the work of the Holy Spirit. 
or about just about the Holy Spirit in general. When you get born again through the regenerating or the making new of the Holy Spirit and he joins himself to you, he comes in, you are one with him. The scriptures say, do you not know that you who are in Christ are one spirit with him? But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, being one with him does not mean that you are full of him. It does not mean that you are full of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we wouldn't hear Paul saying to the believers in Ephesus, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled, be ongoingly full of the Holy Spirit. Or in Acts chapter 6, when they go to ordain some new deacons, it says they chose seven men who were full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. So to be to be in Christ or to be joined with His Spirit does not mean that we are full of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? It means that God's life is becoming yours. And Christ is living through you. Paul says to the Galatians, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He's not making a theological statement alone. He's saying Christ and I are so one that I'm full of his love. I'm full of his joy. I'm full of his peace. I have the wisdom, mind of Christ, the wisdom of God. I live in such a way that God can be seen through me. Wow. Okay. If I were to say this morning, who wants to be full of the Holy Spirit? Who wants to live full of the joy and the peace and the love of the Lord? Not just when we're gathered together, but all the time. Who wants to live full of the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you're answering. I'm glad you're answering. Lots of hands. Good. I was going to say, only the most carnal Christian would say, no, that's not for me. Only the most uh, backslidden, kind of confused person would say, no, I don't want to be full of the Holy Spirit. We all want to be full of the Holy Spirit because the fruit is so good. We have tastes over and over of being full of the Spirit and it's good. Well, here's the question for this morning. How do we live full of the Holy Spirit all the time? You know, the Scriptures say to us in Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthians, we've all been given one Spirit to drink from. The Scriptures love the metaphor of water and of drinking, right? Isaiah says, all, everybody who's thirsty, come, come, come eat, come drink, come buy. You don't have any money? Come, get this gift. It's free. How do we drink? John says, John, John 3.36, Jesus says, the Spirit is given without limit. God's willing to give the Spirit without limit. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. So, so how do we live full of the Spirit who's freely given to us when we come to drink? The psalmist gives us our answer this morning. The psalmist models for us how we can live full of the Spirit. He says, how can a young man, and he, could, he probably says that because he's a young man, but you could read, how can an old woman, 
How can a young woman? How can a child? How can an old man? How can anyone keep or make their way pure? Right? Rust corrodes. Sin corrodes. It weighs down. It defiles. It confuses. It makes heavy. I want the pureness and the lightness. The freedom that's in Jesus Christ. How can I live pure, light, free, even with all that's going on around me and happening to me? How can I live like that? How can I keep my way pure? I can guard my life according to Your Word. What does that mean, to guard it according to the Word? Well, first of all, notice who's responsible for guarding? Me. You. I got a life given to me by God. I guard it. Ann doesn't guard my life. Nick doesn't guard my life. I don't guard your life as your pastor. I work with Jesus. But we guard our own lives. How do you guard your life? By the Word of God. I watch over what I think. I watch over what I look at. I watch over what I consume. And I measure it, says the psalmist, by the Word of God. One pastor I know says, I can't afford to think a thought that God Himself doesn't think. Because when I think thoughts that God doesn't think, it leads me down paths and into places of bondage, deceit, temptation, trouble, woundedness, bitterness. I guard my thoughts. I guard my life according to the Word of God. With my whole heart, I seek You. I seek You. I look for You. I want to know You. Paul prays for the Ephesians. I keep asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you'd know Him better. Too many of us are too settled with how well we know the Lord or what we know about Him rather than saying, I want to know You. Like Paul says in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. And so somehow to become like Him and to attain to also to the resurrection of the dead, I want to know Him. I want to know You. Friends, one of the things that I love about our church tradition, if you're new to it, we're Reformed theologically. One of the things I love about the Reformed theological tradition is it's very balanced. Always reading one Scripture in light of all Scriptures. And uh, we often just talk, find ourselves talking about, about the, the wisdom or the balance of the tradition. But let me tell you this. Here's somewhere you don't want to be balanced. You don't want to say to yourself, on the, on the day you stand before the Lord, Lord, I'm so thankful I sought you with half my heart. I am so thankful that I invested a half of my heart into seeking you and that the other half of my heart went into my comfort, went into my experience in this world and my pleasure and my... I'm so glad I'm balanced. You don't want to be balanced. You want to be like David who lavished his, his praise before the Lord who, who became... He was a king and he said, I will become so undignified he just danced and worshipped before everyone even though it ashamed his wife. 
You want to seek God with your whole heart and your whole life. You want to invest all that you are and have into saying, Lord, I want to know you. I want to grow in you. I want to do your will. I want you to use me. I want you to remove obstacles and hindrances to knowing you. I want you to refine me. I want you to purify my motives. Lord, I seek you. I'm going to seek you in the morning and I'm going to seek you in the evening because you are worth knowing. I want to know you with my whole heart. Then I won't wander from your commands. God, I've stored your word in my heart so that I don't sin against you. God, I won't just spend five or ten minutes a day reading a devotional, but I will read your word and I will study it for understanding and I will meditate on it and I will take it into my heart. I will work to memorize it because it's that valuable, that much of a treasure to me. I meditate on it. You see, the psalmist says these, th- these things and then he turns around and he says, it's like he has a vision of God. And he says, oh, blessed are you. You are so blessed. He has this revelation of the goodness of God, the love of God, the beauty of God, the power of God. And he says, blessed, blessed are you. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your ways. Teach me the things that you've prescribed. And then with my lips, I'll declare. I'll say what you say. I'll speak the, the laws of your mouth. I love your laws, God. I love them because they bring life. And in the way of your testimonies, I delight more than in all riches. In other words, the things that you've already done that have been recorded, I take delight in pondering them. I spend long hours considering the way in which you delivered your people from Egypt. And you led them through a sea. And you moved things that were impossible to move. And you were present with in a cloud and by fire. And you provided for every need. And their shoes didn't wear out. And they never lacked for food. I'm, I, I, Read the testimonies of what, you're, what you did. And I meditate on how you are the same. You don't change. You shut the mouths of the lions in that lion's den. You can shut the mouth of anyone who's speaking against you. You raised Abraham's son from the dead. You can raise anybody else up from the dead. You don't change. And so I meditate on your testimonies and I delight in them. I live by them. They inform my way of interacting with the world. He hadn't even experienced Christ. And yet, this author of Psalm 119 has got a taste of what the rest of Scripture says about Scripture. He's tasted what Scripture testifies. God says to us 
in Second Peter 1 that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness through his very great and precious promises. So there's not a need that you and I have as God's children living in this world, serving him, seeking his will day to day. There's not a need we have that he won't meet. He says, Paul says to Philippians 4.19, My God is able to meet your every need in proportion to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Is there any limit to those riches in Christ Jesus? Is there any limit to Jesus who is God? No, my God is able to meet your need in proportion to this unlimited supply. You have a need for wisdom? Every day. Ask. Do you have a need for encouragement? Every day. Come, receive it. Do you have a need for comfort? Yes, I hurt. Do you have a need for guidance? All the time. What do I do? How do I do it? Do you have a need that Christ can't meet? No. You have a need for protection. You have a need for deliverance from an enemy who's warring against your soul, who wants to wear you down, who wants to take you out, who wants to remove you from using your gifts in service of Jesus Christ. And God says, I have everything you need to be sustained, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to be fed, to live vibrant and alive in my spirit or in my son. I've got everything you need. Come, come to me, come to me and I'll meet your needs. Jeremiah says, the word of God is like a hammer that breaks up hard places. Do you face obstacles? Perhaps enemy obstacles that won't move. Have you learned to meet those obstacles with the word of God and to speak and to declare and to believe? God says this about my child. And I'm praying it in faith over that child. I'm praying the Word of God. God says this about my inheritance in Jesus Christ. And I'm not experiencing all of it yet, but I am believing that it's coming. And so I'm praying the Word of God over my heart and over my life. Do we have more faith in what we see and in what we experience than we do in the Word of God? The Word of God is a sword. Hebrews says it's a double-edged sword. Paul says it's the sword of the Spirit. You put it in the Spirit's hand by taking it into your heart, reading it, believing it, praying it, and the Holy Spirit goes to work. He doesn't say, you move that mountain. He says, I'll move the mountain through your faith by my words. The Word of God brings counsel. The Word of God 
helps us avoid pitfalls. The Word of God strengthens and develops faith and perseverance and patience through hard situations. Why is the Word of God so powerful? Because God has invested Himself in His own Word. This is the revelation of God. He's joined Himself to, He's partnered Himself with His own Word. You know, Psalm 138 says, Your name and Your Word You have exalted above all things. Why has God exalted His Word so highly? Why does God so highly esteem and value and bring honor to His Word? Because it's a revelation of Himself that He's given. So, you, we, we see God. We experience God. We hear God through His Word. Think about this. When you think about the power of God's Word. In the beginning, there was nothing. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. His word brings reality. His word creates. His word has the power and the ability to move from nothing to something to bring something into existence, but not just to bring it into existence. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says about the Word of God. Hebrews 1, 2, or chapter, verse 2 or 3, he says, He sustains all things. Talking about Jesus. He sustains all things by the powerful Word of His mouth. So now we've got this picture of God who brings things into being by speaking them, And then he sustains them through words. Wow! He creates and he sustains through words. And then he's given us those words. And he said, these are yours. Use them. Believe them. Pray them. Live them. And my word will shape your reality. My word will shape your life, but my word will also shape reality through you. As Jackie was bringing the word to Holly, reality was changing. As Jackie was speaking the testimony of Jesus who loves you, who cares for you, who's here right now, reality was changing. As we recognize the value of God's Word, okay, Spirit gives birth to Spirit. We each have a spiritual life, and that spiritual life is sustained spiritually by spiritual food. And if it's not, it dwindles and diminishes and gets weak, and we're easily wounded and easily discouraged and easily confused and easily led astray and distracted and easily lots of things. 
But when we stay in the Word of God, when we feed on the Word of God, when we value and honor and study and meditate the Word of God, life flows forth from, from within each one of us. So I want to give you a short, I want to end with a couple of stories, give you a short testimony of um, my own discovering of this. Um, there have been many, I want to tell you guys, I'm not a pastor because I studied. And I don't have the Word of God in me because I'm a pastor. The Word of God is in me because I love the Word of God. That's partly what drew me to become a pastor. But it's hunger and thirst for God and for His Word that was primary. And so there have been many points in my life where um, I just thought, God, I, I want to know you. I want to know what you say about this. I don't understand. You know, I think some of you have heard me tell the story when I started ministry here. I didn't know anything about the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so I just pulled up my Bible and I read the New Testament from cover to cover. And I retrieved every verse that mentioned the Holy Spirit. And I took them all and I put them all in a Word document. Six pages long. I read it. I studied it. I organized it. Meditated on it. And grew through it. And God's done that over and over and over. I've read the whole Bible cover to cover to understand the kingdom of God. Well, about eight or nine years ago, we had a young man here by the name of Zach Knaus, and he was telling me, I really want to grow in reading Scripture, but I don't know how to do it. And I thought, well, I really want to encourage you, and I'm not quite sure how to do that either, other than to tell you the value of it. But uh, So I thought, you know what, when you want to encourage someone, you got to do something with them. So I said, okay, I'm going to do this with you. And uh, I remembered that uh, I don't remember who, who it was, but I had heard somebody say that, that the thing that had changed them the most in life was that one time they decided to read the Book of Romans every day for a month and it turned their life upside down. So I said, hey, Zach, let's read the Book of Romans every day for a month. Okay? So Zach said, okay. So we did. We read the Book of Romans every day. I read it every night. took an hour and a bit, maybe. And I'm telling you, by the time I was done reading the Book of Romans for a month, that book was reading me. I mean, I had internalized most of it. The Holy Spirit was, was bringing it all the time to thought, to memory. He was working in me through it. He was using it to cleanse and purify thoughts and attitudes. He was using it in ministry. He was just using it in all different kinds of ways. And I, I felt so alive. I thought, I don't want to stop this. This is such a good thing. So I said, Zach, what are we going to do next month? So we picked a shorter book, like Colossians or something. I don't know what it was, but we picked a shorter book. And uh, it was so good. We did it for three or more, four months. And I said, we can't keep this to ourselves. We've got to tell the church. So we told Gould Avenue Church. And, and I said, if anybody else wants to do that, let's do it together. So we started a little book of the month club. And we, you know, we just would pick a book and put it in the worship folder. And I don't know, we did this for, for 14 or 16 or 18. I can't remember how long. It was a year, a year and a half. It was so good. It was so good. And maybe... Some of you are listening to me this morning and you're watching me and you're saying, well, Pastor Dave, I can sure tell that you believe this with all your heart, that you are wonderfully in love with and inspired to read the Word of God, but I just got to tell you, if I'm honest, it's not that way for me, or I have a lot of struggles when I come to Scripture, or... Um, I, I just don't have the fireworks that you seem to be, uh, at, in, at least in part, demonstrating. And so I want to I just speak some words of encouragement, if that's you this morning, that are for all of us. They're for 
They're for people that are feeling that way, but they're also for all of us. I want to give four quick encouragements. Um, after I say this, the Gospel Tool Thought Unit 28, the study, has some um, helps for reading Scripture in there. So on top of having a good study Bible, like an NIV study Bible, there's a couple of books that will really help you learn um, how to read each book of the Bible. So here's the encouragements. First, read for relationship. Read for relationship. So yes, the Bible gives us information. Yes, the Bible teaches us about God. But the Bible brings us into communion with God. And God reveals himself through Scripture. He reveals his character. So you can ask yourself, what am I learning about you, God? What are you revealing to to me about yourself through this passage? And then you can use that to lead you into relationship or communion with God. So read for relationship. It's kind of like reading devotionally. You don't like read and then have your prayer time like they're really separate things. You read in a posture of prayer. You read in dialogue with God. You meditate and you commune as you go through. And it's that talking to him that actually fosters communion, connection, and the ability to um, grow in him as you're reading. So first, read for relationship. Second, come with hunger. Come with hunger. Come with an awareness. I need you. I need you today. I need to grow in you. I need what you have to offer. I need to hear from you. I need wisdom. I need your Holy Spirit to help me today. I need you and I'm hungry. Come, hunger fosters expectation. If you don't have any expectation, it's quite likely that you will be met with what you expect. If you come hungry, God will not leave you empty. He'll fill you. He'll meet you. So come hungry. Third, come with faith. Paul uh, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask and God will give to him. God will give generously without finding fault. But if he doubts, he won't receive anything because that person's double minded and unstable. What's that about? It's about starting with a revelation of the character of God and saying, God, you're good. You're only good. You're fully good to me all the time. You're my Father. You bend everything toward my good. You work all things toward the good of me who loves you. You've brought me to faith in Christ. You will not leave or abandon me. You have good things for me today. Sometimes you have to stir that up in yourself. Many mornings I start my personal devotions by preaching the gospel to myself. If you... I'm not kidding. Preach the gospel. Picture yourself in front of the cross. Think about Jesus. Think about what he did. Think about what a revelation of the love of God he is. And you come to a place of awe, of worship, of gratitude, and of truth about who God is and who you are. And you, when you get to that place, are stirred up. You're now wanting to commune with God. Actually, I'm often wanting to worship him. I just, I start by a little bit of worship after 
after um, preaching the gospel to myself and then come and read the word and bring my prayers and whatnot. But you stir yourself up. That's your part. And the Holy Spirit works with you when you come, when you do that. So come with faith. God, you have something for me. God, you are for me. Third or fourth and last thing, come with humility. Come for relationship, come with hunger, come with faith, come with humility. God calls us friends. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. But that doesn't mean we drop the reverence, the awe of the Lord. He's God. And I come to hear and I come to obey what He says to me. God says in Isaiah 66, this is the one whom God esteems. He or she who is humble and contrite, sorry for their sins, and who trembles at my word. Who trembles at my word. God's not saying He wants us to live in fear. He's a good Father. But He wants a spirit or a posture of reverence and humility before Him. He has gone to great, great length and pains to give us this word. Men and women died, were burned, tortured, so we could have this word. This is precious. And God says, I esteem. That means I have respect and admiration. Isn't that amazing that God would say that he has that about us? But I have respect and admiration, says God, for the man or the woman or the child who trembles before my word, who treasures it, who knows it to be the gift that it is that I give and receives it that way. And so, friends, let me close here. We're praying for revival and we're believing that God is going to bring revival and we're seeing him bring it. Here's how revival happens. One person says this way. It happens when I draw a circle around myself and say, it starts here. It starts here. I'll be revived. And how do we get revived? Fall in love with the Word of God. Fall in love with it. I've never met a spirit-filled Christian who wasn't full of the Word of God, who didn't love the Word of God. They go together. Love, treasure, honor, value the Word of God. And so ask yourself, what value does it currently have in my life? If someone studied my life for a week or a month, what would they say? What would they see? How would it measure up against the other values that I have? And this is where I want to come back to that word in the beginning about discerning the spirits and discerning between conviction and condemnation. Because I know God's been speaking to each one of us this morning. And remember, He doesn't speak to weigh down or criticize. He comes to bring life. There is more for each of us in Christ. There's more. And God is saying, come, like He said to Jeremiah, come to me and I will tell you unsearchable things. Come to me. So He's inviting deeper communion through deeper love of His Word. Um, I was going to have us end by giving some testimonies about the value of God's Word to us. I'm going to pause that and I'm going to ask 
that maybe you would consider, because I, I thought, let's build each other up. Let's encourage each other with how, how much we, are, we do love the Word of God and we are strengthened through it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage us to bring those testimonies next week and the week after. Okay? Let's just end right now with a word of prayer and a song of worship. Father God, we thank you that you are for us and not against us. And that you have given us all that we need for every moment of every day through your word. That your supply is so deep, it's unending. And we pray that you'd make us men, women, and children who learn and increasingly love to drink from your spirit through your word, who are filled with the word of God, who speak the word of God, who have it in our heart and on our lips, who train our children in it from infancy, who have faith in your word. And we pray, O Lord, that this would be a church in which the word and the spirit are beautifully, ongoingly wed together and through which you bring revival. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.